Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast. Like we do every Sunday, George and I go back to the, all the games from the Sunday slate of this past week in the NFL and recap all the games, give our takeaways. We had a bunch of massive matchups in this one with the Colts-Bills, the Packers-Vikings, and finishing it off with the Sunday night game of the Chargers-Steelers. It was a really good week of games. We get into all of that. Hope you enjoy this one. Thank you for listening. So let's start off with that Colts-Bills matchup. The Colts just really from the onset just absolutely took it to them, mainly through the running game, and the Bills just didn't seem like they could hang at all. Yeah, I think um, it's it's another, you know, bad week for the Bills. Um, but before we even get to that, you know, I remember talking on Wednesday and saying I felt that one of the problems with the Colts was that they would go up early. Like when you look at the game against the Jaguars, they went up, you know, 14 or 21 nothing. And it's like, if this is a run first team, then you should be able to pour it on. And so here they are again, they go up 14 nothing in the first quarter, but this time they're able to put it on. And then obviously Jonathan Taylor, four rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown total of five best performance of the year, probably by anybody. Um, they look really, really good. They look like a legitimate playoff team and maybe the best team in their division. I mean, at this point, I'm not going to I'm not going to have the one week overreaction because we have seen the Titans take it to them twice, even without a Julio Jones and with Derrick Henry really stifled, uh, not only just being his impact, but he he left the game early on or not early on, but at some at the later stages of that game. And the Colts kind of gave that one away. But they've definitely they've proven what me and you have been talking about all season, what we thought about this Colts team, which is that they're really good. They're better than their early season record. We thought that was attributed to the early season schedule, and they have proven that since. And the fact that they can go into Buffalo, go against a really good team in the Buffalo Bills, and handle them pretty pretty handedly throughout the entire game speaks volumes to you know how we perceive this team and kind of showing it out on the field. It just again, it, you know, it's just again, like, you know, and th this is something that's going to be talked about a lot as we go through these games. It's like the league is just so, so even this year. Like, you know, the Bills now previously thought to be the best team in the AFC are six and four. The Colts thought to be dead or six and five. And you see so many teams in both conferences rising up and it's just a very, very level playing field. And, you know, that's why it's the best league. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, this Colts team was one in five or one in four. Yeah, I think one in four. Well, yeah, one and through one and four through five games, and now they're six and five and tied up there with a Bills team that you know has the is right now tied with the Chiefs for betting favorites in the AFC to come out. So they're one game back or a half game back of that team, and they're still there. With the Bills, you know, they proved rightfully so that we weren't really willing to go all in on them, despite the struggles we had seen from Kansas City, all the injuries with Tennessee, all the injuries with Baltimore, that even though this team really health-wise is there uh, across the board, they haven't had a major injury, we're not going to go all in on them and be like, this is the team to beat, this is the team that's head and shoulders better than everybody, and they proved it this way. They, this they. This isn't as bad as they are. They've been up on bad teams, and they have one good win, I guess, against Kansas City. Are they this bad? No. Are they better than Indy? I think so. I, I don't think you can take one game and kind of point in that direction. Are they a tier above everybody else in the AFC? No shot. No. I think yeah. that that's what this has proven. And I also think um, I remember talking about the Bills defensive stats, and we both agree that they were misleading, but we both also believe the Bills to still be, you know, an above average defense, call them a top third defense, despite you know, being first and pass and third and run, or maybe it was flipped, but it, you know, yeah. And, and I'm not willing to go back and say, okay, now this is back to being an average to below average defense, but I'm glad that we both sort of saw that and said, yeah, you know, it's one thing to beat up on Tua and then Tua when he's hurt. And then, you know, Davis mills and, and all that stuff. And um, yeah, you know, clearly they're not some elite defense, despite what the stats had said going into the week. Yeah. Last thing I'm going to say about the Colts and then they'll, and then I'll touch on the bills. 
you know, this is a really good team because the fact is they're very, they made a very talented team in the bills, forced them into mistakes. And not only that, they capitalized on them. It was just consistently every mistake that the bills had, the, the Colts capitalized and put in the end zone. I think that's what great teams do, especially on the road, especially in a hostile environment and especially in a pretty must win game for both teams. It's not like the bills are riding high. This is a team that wants to assert themselves and is still fighting for that division. And now when you look at it with the bills, they're only, they're a half game back of the Pats who are now the division leader. The good news is that they still play the Pats twice throughout the back half of the season. They still have some easy matchups that they can rack up some wins against. But let's see if this is the kick in the teeth that this team needs to have that full to reach their full potential of what we thought what we thought this Bills team was going to be coming into this season. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, with the Colts, you know, they were really impressive. Carson had that one play on third and 10, you know, that was reminiscent of prime Carson where he escaped the sack. Um, I've seen two. I saw too many of those. I I remember the giants Eagles game. I was in Lincoln financial for, and I remember the giants having at least a couple of those type of plays where they have him in the grasp and he does that little duck under the duck under the, like the flying arm. And then he's out of there for like 20 yards. Yep. And there was the famous one against the then Redskins on the Monday night game. um, If you remember that one as well. And then um, just one more thing about the bills, you know, the Titans played well against them. They scored a lot. Um, they beat them. The Colts just dominated them. The Browns are a team that can run. The Ravens are a team that can run. And you have two games coming up against the Pats. So even if you're able to stifle Kansas City, if you want to play these two deep safeties and stop everything over the top, a lot of these teams in the AFC can run the ball. We've really seen a resurgence of the run game in the NFL in general because it's sort of like a you know, it's like a back and forth game between the offensive and the defensive of like what's popular, what's perceived to be the best route of scoring points so for a while there it was aired out aired out aired out okay now the defense is adjust they play two deep safeties all the time you're seeing teams have a lot of success running the ball defining themselves as a run first team which was sort of a you know a bit of a dead um like a dead method or a dead art if you will for a couple weeks there so i think that's been an interesting development and something that the bills might have to address going forward i i don't think you necessarily like I get the whole premise of the run game. I, I know people have said it's not necessarily to be like the, to be the most efficient, but it's about setting the tone as a, as like controlling the line of scrimmage as a team that, you know, is physical. And we've seen with the Rams, who's one of the more pass heavy teams, when they go up against these physical teams that want to assert in the trenches, they become a little stifled there because they're more, the other teams are more aggressive in the trenches and that's where games are won and lost. So I definitely see that from that perspective where, you know, you look at some of the top teams and the ones that are doing well right now in the, in the AFC and yeah, more so in the AFC, I guess, than the NFC, but it's the fact that, you know, matching, matching the intensity there from the, from the get-go in the trenches is where you're really setting the tone there. And it obviously impacts the ability for your team to have a, a good passing game if you can't really rely upon just winning in the trenches. Yeah. Well, I mean, and some of these, some of these good AFC teams, I mean, the Colts looked like a genuine run first team yesterday and, um, and the Browns when they're at their best are a genuine run first team. You know, I agree. There are some teams that do it to set other stuff up, but there are some teams here that genuinely run to run the ball. And that's what they believe to be the most efficient way of going about it. Yep. No, I agree. I don't think it's like that pass isn't always the more efficient way. I'm just saying, or when I do talk, when it seems like it comes across from me that like, I prefer you to pass it every time as opposed to run it. It's like, no, I want in more efficient ways to just call, call your offense in a more efficient way. Don't get stuck in your ways of first down. We need to run the ball to try and get four yards and get ahead of the sticks. No, like switch it up, be um, multi-dimensional, 
keep the defense on their toes in that aspect. And for some of these teams, it's running the ball early on because they have these good offensive lines and because it sets the tone. And they also might not have the quarterback necessarily if they want throwing the ball on early downs all the time. Yeah. All right. So let's do, let's get to uh, Ravens and bears. Um, so build as a, you know, Lamar versus fields and you find out before kick that there's no Lamar. And then, you know, during the game fields mm-hmm. comes out as well. So you end up with neither of these guys going at it. Um, and, and so you have Huntley and Andy Dalton. Um, I, you know, I'm just impressed with the Ravens. Yeah, I called them the zombie Ravens earlier in the year. Cause I just feel like, you know, they had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of stuff happen. And yet again, again, man, they win. They're not the most impressive wins. You know, you beat the Bears by three. You beat the Lions by two on a last second field goal. You, you have a couple ugly wins, you know, the one against the Chiefs and all, all that stuff. It's not the prettiest thing, but it, this team, you know, finds ways to win games. And I respect that a lot, especially in a year where there's no clear team, you know, a gritty team like the Ravens who find a way to get it done. You know, you have to respect that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have much to take away from the Ravens for this one. Obviously, you know, impressive win, especially with your backup quarterback and all that. The defense played well. Uh, I mean, the Bears offense isn't something that you really isn't something that you really, you know, uh, keeping you up late at night, you know, trying to game plan around. But, you know, still going out there and still controlling, controlling everything. Because we saw this Bears team take apart a pretty mediocre um Pittsburgh Steelers secondary uh, two weeks or a week and a half ago, I guess two weeks from from today now uh, on Monday as we're recording this. Uh, Instead, I want to point to the Bears because obviously their offense was stagnant. I wanted to, you know, say the defense blew it at the end because at third and 12, the fact that Sammy Watkins is running open for the corner route, um, you know, that's just that just can't happen. And Brett Huntley can't lead them down the field that quickly. I think it was four plays, three or four four plays. But that, that was the unit that was keeping them in this game because Granted, on their side, it wasn't like you were stopping Lamar Jackson. You were starting stopping Brett Huntley. But the fact is that they were able to do it. And now, if you're a Bears fan, you don't have your first-round pick because they had to trade up to get Justin Fields. And that's still, I think, the right move and what they should have done. But this is the second straight back-breaking loss, and it's not like you're looking forward to anything else. So when you're trying to sneak into the playoffs, which is what they're trying to do, you can't keep dropping these 50-50 games where it's coming down the wire and you have really a great opportunity to steal one. No, that's a really good point. You know, some teams that, you know, the – the perfect scenario for a lot of these teams is you stay competitive, but you end up losing. It's not the case for the Bears because, like you said, they don't have their pick. Um, I want to point out, I saw Roquan Smith had 17 tackles, two of them for a loss. Um, this guy's got to be one of the best defensive players in the league, you know, underratedly. So I feel like it's hard for a middle linebacker to get a lot of love. You know, I know like Bobby Wagner and, you know, Luke Keekley in the past um, – just think he's super, super effective. He's everywhere. He does a little bit of everything. He'll get you some picks, force some fumbles, get some sacks. Um, really talented player. Uh, you know, I know like a lot of people look at the Bears and they just think about Khalil Mack, but this guy's been at it for, you know, four years now. He's been really, really good. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have, you didn't have Khalil Mack. You didn't have Akeem Hicks. You didn't, you're missing a bunch of guys on that defensive side of the ball. And the fact that, you know, he's the, he's the guy that you're thinking of. It's him, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson. I don't even think Eddie Jackson played in this game. So the fact is that you need somebody to make plays there and, we talk about like Devin white because he was on the bucks and the bucks won the super bowl. And we talk about Fred Warner because he's been in the super bowl and all this, the bears haven't had that team success. So you don't, he doesn't get that notoriety there where he's in those big massive games to really make the place, but he has consistently been doing that for years. And that's why they took him. I think in the top 10. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, like you said, you know, the bears come up, you go, okay, this is an above average to borderline elite defensive group. You know, they have Khalil Mack and then you just sort of stop it there. And I, you know, Roquan probably deserves to be in that conversation with Mack, especially as he's been like in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, it sucks that now no no Khalil Mack for the rest of the season. Akeem Hicks, we'll, we'll see if he ever makes it back to them. I mean, we had no Allen Robinson in that game, so I guess the offense some, has something. It was funny. Everybody's like, or not everybody, but, you know, they're the chatter of like, don't like not saying like Dalton should be starting over fields, but, you know, Dalton throws that screen past to Darnell Mooney and Darnell Mooney takes it to the house. And it's just like, oh, the offense already picking up back picking up with, with fields out. It's like, what? Darnell Mooney made a great play. That was yeah. it. It wasn't Dalton threw it out to him really quickly. And that was it. No, it was I mean, Dal- Dalton's stats were solid. But at the end of the day, I mean, not like, you know, this the final score was 16 to 13 neither offense should be particularly happy with what transpired on the field no and Matt Nagy I saw there was this I thought I saw after uh I think it was after the touchdown from the Ravens the Bears were going down the field on offense and there there were chants in the stadium of fire Matt Nagy and they were pretty loud that can't feel good at at your own stadium cannot feel good no not at all okay Lions Browns Brown's coming in with another shaky performance on the offensive side of the ball. One game with more than 17 points in their last six. And I, you know, this was a matchup that we talked about, I think on, I don't think we did. We didn't, dive no way. we didn't There's talk. No, no, we didn't talk about it Thursday, but I was trying to think whether or not we spoke about it on either Monday or Thursday, just previewing this as a game that they should have thought about sitting Baker. I'm trying to remember that. Oh, yeah, and I yeah, don't yeah. understand why this wasn't the matchup there because if case can get you a win versus Denver, in a prime time spot, he should be fine to play the Lions. And at this point, it's not like Baker's really providing that much, you know, of an uplift on your team where I could see it noticeably being different. Let the guy sit because there was a bunch of plays in this one where, you know, he had that pick to that he threw to, he was trying to hit Jarvis Landry and he sailed the ball over his head by like 10 to 15 feet. And it went right into the Lions defender intercepted it set them up pretty for a field goal to cut it to 13 to 10 those are just some of the plays that you have there and it's clear that he's not healthy he's not a top 10 quarterback to begin with even when he's healthy so with all those things I don't see why this wasn't a spot to sit him no I think the past couple weeks we've been sort of you know repeating this I mean the stats today 15 of 29 176 a touchdown and two picks I mean that's you know Mason Rudolph territory from what we just saw the week prior um honestly don't even think that's that bad of a comp right now the way baker's playing um you would think right the spread here was like 12 and a half 13 13 and a half depending on where you got it um the golf news moved it a bit um and you would think a run first team like the browns with chubb back would beat them up you know would score 30 30 to 3 something like that and yet they scored 13 in the second quarter and that's it and the final score is 13 10 you know chubb won 30 yards but no touchdowns um and again, it wasn't even against golf. So just like, I, I just, I'm just low on this Browns team after everything I've seen. You know, I remember we did the panic meter thing a couple weeks back and I put it, I put them at a seven and I remember I put the Chiefs at a six. And it's funny that that actually ended up being the right move, having the Browns a little bit higher because I just think, um, you know, even when they win these games, just so unimpressive. And, and, and you look around at all the good teams in the AFC and the, and the fact the Browns are going to have to play all these AFC North teams and, you know, a couple more AFC West games because, you know, that's who they play this year division-wise. It's just I start to have a tough time even seeing them get in the playoffs, honestly, the way it's going. So they're sitting at 6-5 and five right now. They got a game at Baltimore. We assume that, that Lamar Jackson should be back for that game. It seemed like he – I don't I – don't, I think it was probably like a 25% chance he played today, but at some point like that, he it's a virus. It's not an injury. So at some point he'll feel better. I'd, I'd be shocked if he didn't play. Exactly. So then they go into their buy, then they come out of it. They play Baltimore. I'd ha- I think the at Baltimore game, they end up probably losing. It's a, a Sunday night game. Then the home versus Baltimore out of the buy. I think they win that one. Then versus Vegas, that should be a win at green Bay. 
I'll give, I think Green Bay takes that one at Pittsburgh. That one's kind of a toss up at this point. And then versus Cincinnati. So if you're you know, thinking there, there is like three, the, three wins. To like, you know, like four and two there sounds really generous, mm-hmm. really generous. So hey, you look at three and three, puts them at nine and eight. I don't know, right? It's going to come down to some tiebreakers here and there. I, I, I think that's a really, really, really difficult schedule. I mean, to go Ravens by Ravens is really tough. Yeah. I mean, at least it works out in their favor because the Ravens then are, I'm looking at the Ravens schedule right now. It goes, Ravens go Cleveland, then at Pittsburgh, then at Cleveland. So at least you, you work in there that they got to go to Cle- that they have to go to Pittsburgh game plan for that. And you get the two weeks off where you're, you're going to be able to game plan for I them. Mean, the Raiders is the most winnable game there. I mean, they're all winnable, but the Raiders is the most winnable. And even that is probably only like a 60 to 65% chance. So it's like, you know, it's, um, yeah, there's no like game against the Texans or Jags. There's no like one where you're looking at like licking your chops really at it, but them right now, it's probably the lowest point that you have to think about whether like coming from the off season, like I'm going to pull up right now, um, what their, what their playoff odds are and like where, where you could potentially have them, because I have to assume that right now, you have to look at the Ravens as pretty sizable favorites to to win the division. As if I had to guess at the moment, um, let's see: Ravens minus one thirty, Bengals plus three hundred, and then Browns plus four fifty. And what about the Steelers? Plus a thousand. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, I mean, it's it really comes down to the quarterback position. If Baker hasn't looked good, and obviously it's because of injury, but at some point, you know, we see the Cardinals go with a backup quarterback. Now that that's like the best case scenario. You go three and one with your with your backup in there. But it's the fact of, you know, now they're for the better if you're trying to make this these long playoff runs at the end of the season and you're worried about, you know, sizable injuries just, to your best player. It, it's, a, it's a mistake that keeps compounding because, you know, you beat the Broncos with, with Keenum and then, like, you know, I forget what happened in some of those weeks in between, but, like, you know, you could have lost by 38 to the Patriots without Baker. You know, you didn't really need him there for that one. Um, they had the great, I know they blew out that one team here. They, I have, I have it right now. So they, after Odell, who was that? Who was so that? they beat, they beat Denver 17 to 14. They lost to Pittsburgh at home, 10 to 15. Oh, that they beat, horrible. yeah, they beat Cincy 41 to 16 yep. and then lost to new England. And then the Detroit game. Yeah. The only game with there where you're like, Oh man, thank God we had Baker is probably the Cincy game, but you really didn't need him for any of these. And he could be coming back having missed four games and he could be close to hundred percent. And now it's like, I mean, this guy's probably one of the most dinged up guys in the league still playing. Um, so, it, yeah, again, I, I don't really like their chances moving forward to even make the playoffs. I mean, at this point, the odds are against them. And when you look at the whole AFC picture, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get off this pretty trash game. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you look at it right now, I mean, there are so many teams bunched up together. It's the same way with the NFC, where there are so many teams bunched up together outside fighting for that six or even the the – all of the wild card spots. I mean, the difference between them and the first place team in the in the conference is through is two games. It's wide open. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. So when when you have all these issues and all these questions with Cleveland, and I have all these other teams where we they don't the AFC doesn't necessarily have the top end talent like the NFC does, but they have all this middling talent that, that it's hard for me to see the Browns really fix everything on the fly with all the injury with the injuries to Baker and all the question marks on that offense to to really feel comfortable with them or thinking about them as a team that can make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, like another six and five team. So it it goes like, you know, some of these teams like, okay, the Broncos and the Raiders, they're also in the mix. I don't like their chances, but then I look at like the Colts, 
for example, who, are, you know, they're clearly going upwards and the Browns are going downwards. Um, the Bengals have a half game over them. The Chiefs are back now. The Chargers, another big win. It's just, it's going to be hard to Patriots and the Bills. It's going to be hard to find those spots, you know, even though they have expanded. Um, so that'll be a really, really fun one to, you know, continue to follow. So, all right. Yeah. Let's Number get to the Texas, te- yeah, Texan, Texans, Titans. Of course, the Titans, who go 6-0 and in their previous six, including wins, you know, against the Bills, Chiefs, Colts, Rams, lose to the Texans. This is team, just a classic letdown spot. Yeah, the team that was so due for a letdown, you know, it's like you're playing blackjack and you keep doubling your money every time and you keep winning every hand, and then a final you just lose and you're like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, you know, here's the thing with the Titans. Um, first off, no Vrabel. But second off, no Julio, no Henry. A.J. Brown injured mid-game. Corey Davis gone in the offseason. John Smith in the offseason. It's like you look at the weapons. It's like, who are they supposed to score with? And I know it's the Texans, and I know, like, that's no excuse. But it's like, man, I, you know, I don't necessarily blame them for not putting up 30 or 40 because you don't have guys. So I, I think, you know, that's something that probably got overlooked. And it was just like, oh, whatever. Like, this team's good and the Titans suck. Like, I'm sure they'll cover 10. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised they actually lost, but I'm not surprised that they struggled. Yeah, I mean, we had been speaking about it for the past couple of weeks now where, you know, you give them praise for winning these games, but it's not, oh, it's, it, there was just something that didn't click there. It was just something like with all the injuries that they had, with the defense that they have, it just seemed like a lot of things were going in their way and it helped, it benefited them and, you know, props to them for still pulling out these wins, but at some point it was going to bite them. And, you know, at this point, this Texans team with Tarod Taylor under center had actually been serviceable. I'll give him a, a pass on the Miami game because the first game back from the injury and all of that, he's definitely didn't seem right, but Week one, smack the Jags. Week two, when he got injured in the midway through the second, they were up 14 to seven versus the Browns in Cleveland at that point. And then he comes back and this team obviously looks more serviceable with him under center, obviously, as opposed to Davis Mills. So with all of that, them coming off the bye, another week for him to get fully healthy and fully back into the whole swing of things. And then you bring up the AJ Brown part where he gets injured and that's really the last reliable guy that you have as an offensive weapon. He's literally the last above average skill position player on the field at that point. Maybe even average. I, I, I don't think, yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're throwing Deonta Foreman, Adrian Peterson, uh, just all these like no name, like either wash guys, no name guys, just all of it together. And you're hoping Ryan Tannehill can, you know, pick things up for them. And it doesn't really surprise me. I was happy to take the Texans plus 10 and a half. I wish I took, took it on the show on Thursday, but it was to the point where, there was just too many injuries going into the game. And then you add in the AJ Brown part of it. I just thought that this team was due for a letdown. Um, obviously hindsight's 2020 with all of this, but it doesn't, you know, the same way this one loss doesn't, or same way that, you know, you can't knock them for the six wins or you can't. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the same way I'm not going to, you know, bash them even though they won those six games i'm not going to take away anything from this one loss it's it's one loss at some point you're going to lose these games especially when you go on the run that they've had especially when you beat the four really good teams that they had played just all these things it sucks that they lost but they're still the top team in the afc when it comes to record and they're still a team that will probably end up making the playoffs yeah and you know the downside of um so like you go back to the Ravens who I was just giving credit for, for like finding a way to win. And you mentioned the same thing about the Titans and sort of the flip side of giving a team credit for being resilient when they quote unquote, just find ways to win is that when they lose, you go, Oh yeah, I don't even know why I liked them that much in the first place because, you know, 
saying the team finds ways to win is kind of code for saying like, man, they keep winning, but I don't really know how. So, you know, that's sort of where you're at when a team that, you know, manages a lot of wins in a row starts to lose. And then it's easy to lose faith in them. You know, I never felt that the Titans were the best team in the AFC, even when healthy. I mean, if healthy at this point, the way the Bills had fallen off and the way the Chiefs looked, maybe I would have had them pegged as number one team. But there is no number one team in the AFC right now. Maybe it's the Chiefs, even though I still have a hard time 100 percent getting there. Yeah, I- it was that that was the whole thing that was keeping me from and why I'd liked even in all these spots when they went up against the Colts, when they went up against the Rams, when they went up against the Chiefs, when they went up against the Bills. I liked all these other teams against them. And that was with Henry. And when then when you took Henry out in that Rams game and then when you took him out in, you know, this game, that's where I, I like them because I think their identity is so much on that. And when the Rams, when you look at the Rams game, a lot of it was, you know, Stafford threw a really bad pick six. Stafford threw a really bad interception in the end zone. Then you look at the Colts game. Carson kind of gave that one away. It was one of his worst games of the season and yeah. props them for forcing that out of him. But it was still on him for making a couple of bad decisions. And when you don't have those things working in your favor where the quarterback's not giving you these free possessions or these free points, it, at some point the offense is going to need to put it together. And we saw that uh, – against that Rams team, it wasn't like their offense was really putting together anything. They had 14 points on offense besides the pick six and the interception that set them up in the five within the five or 10 yard line. Yep. All right. Okay. So let, let, we're done here. Let's go to, um. let's go to Packers Vikings. This one, man, I remember seeing the spread and it was Packers minus one and a half. And I was like, Oh, I hate that number. And then funnily enough, um, there was a certain point there where it was 24, 23 Packers. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to do the window cover, which I'm pretty sure I mentioned as a strong possibility on Thursday of happening. Um, nevertheless, it didn't happen. The Vikings marched right back down. They scored, they get the two point conversion. The Packers come back, score one of their own in one play. You know, I was all excited. I was gearing up getting my popcorn for the Rogers two minute drill. It ended before the two minute warning. So, you know, that was too bad, but it was a crazy play. And then the Vikings get it back. They throw a pick. Um, it's funny, you know, I was watching it on Red Zone and he throws the pick. I'm like, oh, let's go because I'm on the Packers. And um, they cut back and the Vikings have the ball. And Hanson's just like, yeah, you know, um, we saw the replay in studio and we thought it was a fair overturn. And I just never saw it until I had to go back and watch it like later in the afternoon. So that was unfortunate. But all in all, a crazy game. The Vikings managed to get it done, sort of do good on my claim that they, that they were a playoff team after what they did the week prior. And the Packers... Yeah, I don't really think you worry about it. I mean, that, you know, the Vikings finally, a game that could have gone either way, goes their way. And for me, that's really all this is. I'm not going to take anything away from the Packers. This was honestly one of the things that I I took away from it actually is great to see that their offense, this was a game where, you know, they could put up 30. They showed it. We hadn't seen it really. They hadn't put up 30 since week three of the season. And at this point, you know, it's always a possibility. You never really doubt an Aaron Rodgers led offense the same way you don't doubt like a Russell Wilson led offense, a Patrick Mahomes led offense, a Tom Brady led offense. But the fact is you still want to see it. They still at some point have to show it. It's just so it doesn't, you know, get lost in the shuffle of all these things. But I can't believe you took the Packers after we were talking about how fishy the line was. We, we literally like said it was like one and a half. And you're like, if it was three and a half, it's my lock of the year. All of this. I have an addiction to fishy lines. After you, the, like, after, you're like your whole, you just take the Vegas bait. You know what the thing is, you know, the thing is, so, so a couple friends of mine, they love the sketchy lines. They'll look at the board. They'll say like, for example, you look at Titans hosting saints last week's Titans minus two and a half. They go, they go. And with no Camaro, they go perfect. This line makes no sense. You're saying on a neutral field, uh, New Orleans would be favored without Camaro, without James, without Michael Thomas. Perfect. I'm going to max bet the Saints. 
I, the reason I can't do that is because I, when it wins, sure, that's great. But when I lose, like if that didn't hit, you know, the Saints last week or, or Vikings this week or whatever it is, I'm going to feel like a huge idiot because it's just like I just played myself. I don't like, you know, I call it like out sharpening yourself. I hate doing that. So it's something that I really try to refrain from doing when possible. Um, and yeah, I got God, man. I got God. Simple as that. That's where it's tough for me, like with the NFL and sometimes with the NBA, where to, to tail people just straight on picks for the most part, unless I'm really feeling it, because I want to blame myself if I lose. It's like, okay, you made the decision that you thought that this team was going to win, not just based on, you know, out, outside factors. I definitely listen to other people's research and then form my own conclusion on it. Right. But it's a fact of why I can't tail, I just can't blindly tail somebody for five picks for the day because I'm like, you know, if I don't feel it for one of these picks and I go for three of the four, but, you know, three of the the three of them go one and two, and then he, I lost a winner there, you know, it kind of it messes up my day because then I'm, no, I'm feels, down on the feels, day. It feels worse if you lose and not as good if you win. You know, like we'll get to the football team eventually. And I watched a lot of that game because I loved them all week. And it was a great feeling when it paid off. It's just it's more fun when you went on your own results or research and it's, you know, less less painful when you lose doing your own work. So, so yeah, a hundred percent, but back to the game. Um, another, another big game from Devonte Adams. It's sort of good to see them clicking again. Jefferson with a big game, Valdez Scantling with a good game too. So I just thought all offenses showed a lot. Um, again, like, you know, the Vikings probably deserve this one on account of how many close 50 fifties they lost, but I still kind of walk away thinking that the Packers should have won in a way. So it's kind of good for both teams. Yeah, I, I mean, well, that's the same way that you could have thought about with the Vikings and against the Ravens, against, you know, the, the Bengals and against the Cardinals. Cardinals, yep. Yeah, like all these games, it's like, okay, you could come away. So, uh, yeah, going back to it, this is a game where, yeah, you could say the Packers could have won this one. And there are some points that he had there, but they didn't. And that's on the Vikings. You know, I, I bashed Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer because at some point when you keep losing these close games where it's down to the wire because of just how the NFL is, you have to look at the two most important positions or the two most important people in the building. And that's the head coach and the quarterback when it comes to just team personnel. And, th and they got, I mean, that pick was such a bailout. Like it really was a pick. And then it's just like, you know, he had trouble with it coming to the ground. I didn't see the replay till late last night because the red zone screwing us, but it happens. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it either I, I it looked very clean to me I couldn't see his right. feet or all of that I I didn't see the whole replay I just kind of took Scott Hansen for his word on it but it looks very it did because he's it, the mate the way he made it seem was like he didn't get his feet down and I'm like what it felt no, like yeah. he had so much room to get his feet it down. was like uh yeah it ended up being like a caught it you know up there almost like brings it into one side, but then he's going to the ground and almost like brings it to the other side. And when he's bringing it to that side, it sort of slides, hits ground on the way out and like bounces up. And, you know, that's that. So that was a uh, very unfortunate and frankly, a real lucky second chance for the Vikings there. Um, Cause, Cause that was a be, bad pass. I mean, you would be killing Kirk today and Zimmer, but you know, mostly Kirk, cause that was just inexcusable. Um, you know, imagine that Packers one play 75 yards, get it back, you know, two plays later and they were going to be, you know, midfielder, if not in Vikings territory. And we all know how that was going to end. Oh, and one last thing, you know, speaking of Zimmer, I, I like the clock management at the end. I thought it was smart to not score, you know, especially, oh, yeah. especially with the bad man on the other side of the field, Aaron Rodgers. Like, um, yeah, I just thought it was well done. Yeah, I, I thought that was the smart play. That's analytically what you should do because, yeah, <laughs> we saw it in that Niners game where they gave right. him 30, 30 or 45 seconds, and it was more than enough for him to go down there and to put them in field goal range because at that point, that's all that he needed to do. 
uh, in this one, though, it would have been a touchdown, I guess, if they scored. So maybe a little bit different, but I still am completely behind him on that one where, you know, just take as much time. If Greg Joseph is going to miss that field goal, then, you know, then you go to OT, but I'd rather miss it on the lay of Greg Joseph than give it to my defense that surrendered 31 points at this point and let Aaron Rodgers potentially go down the field. And you know what? Maybe they get the touchdown. They're like, you know, let's go for two. And then you just don't never get the ball back. Right. Okay, Dolphins, Jets, we'll get through this one really quickly. I really thought this was a letdown spot for the Dolphins after that huge win versus Baltimore. I ended up taking the Jets plus three and a half. I actually preferred Joe Flacco than Mike White. from From the perspective of taking the Jets because I didn't think he would necessarily give up the ball to the defense like he had done against the Bills where he threw like four interceptions. The opportunities were there the same way that I was tailing the Falcons on on Thursday night. The opportunities were there, but also in like classic Jets fashion. They made things harder on themselves than they needed to be, and that's where you know it came came back to bite them and why they weren't able to pull this one out. Yeah, I think um, I, I agree with what you said. You know, especially when you're playing the Dolphins, a team that you don't even know if they'll be able to score 24 points like they did. I I, I wouldn't have expected that. Um, it's uh, you're just looking for the guy who's going to make the least mistakes. And honestly, you know, Flacco didn't make very many mistakes. Frankly, I mean. I mean, shoot, it was 24-17, you know, it happens. Um, I do have to say, I remember talking about on Thursday, I was like, this total is 44 and a half. I don't see how it could possibly go over. With that in mind, it's going to go over. I took the under because, like I said, I don't do the sketchy line stuff. I go with the gut. I go for the biggest trap, you know, call what you want. But um, that one ended up paying off. So, you know, that was nice. Yeah. My dad's a Dolphins fan. I don't know if you know that. He has a Tua yeah. jersey. My dad grew up in uh, in South Florida. Roots for Tua. And Tua had that 65-yard touchdown pass to Mac Collins. And he came into my room. Yes, he's happy they scored in all of this. But the first thing that he's talking about is like, man, he throws it and he looks like he threw everything he had into that one. And it just barely got to Mac Hollins. It's not like a, he literally said, like, it's not like Josh Allen where he just flicks it and they go and it, it wouldn't reach him. And that's, that's one of the things they have to, they, I guess you have to live with Tua where you're hoping that the cerebralness with him and the accuracy gets there. But the fact is he put everything he had into that 65 yard throw you know, and it barely got there. You know, it's kind of like Baker. So these are two guys that are undersized and they're built for their accuracy. But, but the thing is, so, so they don't have, you know, the giant arm, they don't have the size and they don't have the speed. So the problem becomes though, if your main thing is accuracy, unless you're like a Peyton Manning or Drew Brees caliber, you know, accurate guy, it's easier for a Justin Herbert to be accurate. It's easier for a Josh Allen to be accurate because they're bigger and because they can move around and find themselves in better position to make good throws. So it's just, it's a real uphill battle for these undersized guys, especially when they don't have the athleticism like a Kyler Murray, like a Russ Wells. I'll say Baker's definitely got a stronger arm than, and then, uh, than Tua, but I like the other points that you were saying. I Me, mean, neither of them are like a Josh Allen or Mahomes, but yeah, no, no, no. But I would say Baker. Like we've seen some throws that Baker's had where he, or it's like the hail marys at the end of the half, and he just uh, he can sling that thing. But mm-hmm. I do agree that the fact that they're smaller guys in stature and they don't have the athletic prowess you need, and you don't have necessarily the strongest arm, all of these things are working against you, and that's where it, it is an uphill battle, and that's where you know the fact that Tua hasn't shown enough. And it won't silence the fact that they're, they're going to continue to look for, for different quarterbacks. Right. Now let's look at Saints Eagles, your team. What do you think? Wait, wait, we think? skipped one. We, we skipped a couple. We skipped a couple. What? Yeah. yeah uh, well, this is still a Monday night. Well, this is still a 1 p.m. game. 
Oh, so true, so true. I thought it was four for some reason. Um, your team? Yeah. You didn't remember what time your team played at? You know, it's crazy because I, I was going to watch with some friends for like I came for like the second half of the one p.m.s and the four p.m.s, and all morning I was telling myself like, oh, I'll be there for the whole Eagles game, and and just like you know, and then like around twelve thirty or one, I was like, oh yeah, we're playing at one, so I had to go like first half there, second yeah. half there. Um, yo, man, uh, the Eagles have a real identity i think that's like the biggest thing of the past couple of weeks i wrote this down this is the third time in three straight games where the eagles have had two guys run over 60 yards and a third guy over 40 yards um so they're getting it done they're getting it done diversely i um i think that's a big thing i think the defense is starting to force takeaways you know darius slay that's another touchdown for him you know he's starting to stack up touchdowns they don't call him big play slay for nothing um and, and you know, it's uh, it's an interesting team. Again, there's clearly not a ton of passing efficiency. You know, you have Goddard and you have Devonta Smith, um, and that's pretty much all you have as far as like pass game stuff that you can rely on. Um, but the running backs are are playing well. You know, Howard, Sanders, and Scott, and then of course Jalen with the amazing you know game ceiling touchdown run, and the defense was good. And I, you know. For once with the Eagles, who I was harping on in weeks prior for making games look closer than they were, this game wasn't as close as the final score was in a good way. You know, we kind of put it on them and you know, they crept back for a half second there. You were like, oh, man, are we going to blow this? And then we put it away. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. It's like it must have felt weird as like the other team was scoring these garbage time points and, you know, trying to make and making it closer and maybe making the other team sweat it out a little bit. But yeah, Jalen, that that touchdown pat, that touchdown run he had to seal it at the end. I mean, that was one of the more amazing runs that we've seen. Uh, especially like it's not like it was like a sixty yard run. It was just like you know made a guy miss, then found had the vision to cut back to the left side and all of that and follow his blockers. I thought that was a great game, and the fact that, and I like the fact that you brought up the running backs and all of the rushing stats because that was the thing that was really keeping me from wanting to take the Eagles. After I saw that Ramchek, Armstead, and Kamara were out, I, I didn't end up betting it. I'll still take the loss for uh, for picking them on Thursday. But the fact is that they still had their guys that would stop the run on the defensive side of it, and they were still able to impose their will throughout the, early on in this game. It's not just, you know, they built up to win all of this. It was like early on, picked up, started out the game, what was it, 14 nothing, I think, in the first quarter, and then yeah. – I'm trying to see what the exact score, and then, and then 27 to seven at half. And, so, and honestly, and that one touchdown was gifted because Miles fumbled inside our own 20. Yeah. So, and and they scored right off of that on a crazy like classic Eagles. I mean, look, this happens to every team, you know, whether it be Penn State or you know whatever other teams people root for. I guess everyone is accustomed to giving up long third downs, but it was like a, you know, third and. After a goal. penalty, the play before. Exactly. It was like third and goal from like the eight. And then it was either a five or 10 yard penalty. And he, he runs 10. around, he runs around for a while and he finds Trauman in the back of the end zone. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you cannot give that stuff up. But you see it every week across, you know, college and pro. And it just, look, teams give up long third downs. It feels like it happens to your team more than anyone else. But I just think because it stands out, because it's, it's such a bad feeling when you give it up. So I'm sure, I'm sure most fans feel that way. Or maybe it is just an Eagles and Penn State thing. No, right? yeah, no. Giants have never given up a long third down in my life. I've never. <laughs> Never yeah. seen it happen. Penn State never. Only, no, only, no, of course only not. the of course Eagles. Not. But now you look at these teams. Yeah, I mean, you you were you were alluding to it early on a couple weeks ago that you know the Eagles can make a run at this. They're five and six now, a half game out of that last spot in the wild card, which is the which is the Saints at this point, who are five and five, and the Eagles are five and six. So both these teams, you know, 
I spoke about it last week and it's the fact of, you know, Trevor Simeon's not going to be able to carry you there and you got to hope for the outside parts. And when you're missing your left tackle, your right tackle and your best offensive playmaker for a team that's built around their offensive line and the ability for Alvin Kamara to, you know, generate a lot of points for them when it comes to him just making plays out of nothing, that's going to really hamstring you in these games where they're very winnable, but you have to rely on Trevor Simeon as opposed to these other guys. And think about this man. Um, Tiebreaker over the Saints head to head, tiebreaker over the Falcons head to head, tiebreaker over the Panthers head to head. Massive for playoff implications. You know, they went three and one against the NFC South. Um, that's all you can ask for, you know, especially given like the Buccaneers being the Buccaneers. And then these are three competitive games and they happen to win all of them. As you said, and as I've said many times before, they're about to go into a really, really easy stretch. Um, this is starting to look like a playoff team. You know, it definitely is. Um, I'm not saying they are a playoff team, but I am beginning to believe that they could be one the way they're playing. Yeah, they're, they're dominating the trenches right now offensively and defensively. And if Jalen's able to, you know, play clean games, which, he's ha- which he has been, he's been playing fine. He hasn't been playing great. He hasn't been playing bad. He's been playing fine. And that's what you need when, you, when you're running through, when your offense is through the run game, as opposed to, you know, necessarily relying on him passing-wise, which is what they were doing early on in the season. And then when you have the opportunistic plays, like you were talking about Darius Slay, where he's able to convert these interceptions, fumble recoveries into touchdowns, that's what you're looking for from your defense. And that's why we've praised the Dallas Cowboys because Trevon Diggs, not, ne- not necessarily because he's locking down guys to one catch for 11 yards, but because when he gets the opportunity to make a play, he makes the, he gets the interception. When Michael Parsons get the opportunity to get after the quarterback, it's not, ne- not just a sack, it's a sack fumble. It's not about holding people to 10 points anymore. It's about, it's going to be a shootout. Who's going to make the couple big plays. It's going to differentiate, especially when you talk about these top teams. And so the Eagles showed a little bit of that ability. It's not something that they've been able to do in the past, you know, I always thought they were more of a bend, not break type defense over the past few years. But, you know, this is exciting. And I will say, Jalen, 13 of 24, 147, no touchdowns, no picks. I mean, it's kind of similar to what you got from Carson in the Colts game. And they're both similar in the sense that, you know, the run game really dominated and the quarterback just held strong and did his job. Only difference is that Jalen ran for three touchdowns, too. Yeah, he's more of the threat in the run game as opposed to just running through the run game where from Carson, it's like, okay, I'm dropping back to pass. And the, the pocket is collapsing. Let me now then run. But through Jalen, it's like read option. It's, you know, my first read isn't there. Let me go. It's not just because of the protection breaking down. It's like, okay, this is a real thing. That's a threat for me on every single play. Not necessarily just based on what the blocking's giving me. All right. One last thing on the Eagles. I was told, so I was talking about the triple option with the Eagles. And then my friend told me that Sirianni ran the triple option in high school. And I'm just saying, you know, you put Jalen Hurts, and it's like a, you know, triple option, obviously. So it's like the first op- the first read is like you give it to Jordan Howard right up the middle. And then the second read is, you know, a like a pitch read option type thing on the outside, like the Chiefs love to run with Mahomes. Um, you get a little triple option with Miles, Jordan Howard, and Jalen. And it's just a possibility. It's just something I was thinking about with the way. What, that if, what if they did with Devontae Smith instead of Jordan Howard? Well, so like the first option is you hand it off to Miles Sanders, but then the second option is either Jalen keeps it or he pitches it to Devontae Smith on the edge. It's definitely possible. I mean, honestly, though, I, I love what I'm seeing with Jordan Howard running north-south. You know, like because we're Penn State guys and a lot of our friends are Giants fans, yourself included, I, I talk about Saquon a lot, and I think 
look, he's not, he's in a bad situation, but one of his problems and Miles Sanders' problem too, to an extent, is I don't love these guys that dance in the backfield and lose two yards because they're trying to hit a home run. I, I like guys like a Jordan Howard who are just like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to run at you as hard as I can, and I'm going to get a couple extra yards after the play, and I'm going to end up getting four-plus yards every time because I run really hard. Um, and so you have that, and then you have Miles, a more explosive guy on the outside with Jalen as well. I think it could work out. Devonta, I don't really know if I want him doing that stuff, you know, taking those hits on the outside and really being used as a running back. I like him more as a route runner, although sometimes it's frustrating that he doesn't get as much involvement as you'd like. There. I mean, well, that's just the offense that they run and the, with the yeah. quarterback that they have. It's not like you can expect much with them. I do agree with the Saquon part of it. That's where Jonathan Taylor has been so great because he is charting out those five yard, those four or five yard runs, those three to four yard runs. And then he has the explosiveness that a, that a Saquon has to take it 60 yards. But it's the fact that he's able to bruise you and batter your defense throughout an entire game with those four yard runs, as well as the ability for him to take it to the house from 60 yards out. Okay. Football team Panthers, the reunion game, the Cam Newton, Taylor Heineke, Ron Rivera reunion game. I know everyone was thinking about Taylor Heineke making his return to Carolina. Never crossed my my mind. (laughs) Are you serious, dude? And I I watched a lot. I watched a lot of this game, man. So, so I'll take it from there and just say that, like I said, I watched a lot. The Panthers came out throwing a hundred, maybe even one Oh five, you know, we'd have to get the radar gone and find out but um man they came out really hot um cam with the massive you know run that was you know very exciting and then he, he ran down and put it on the logo McCaffrey looked good you know um 60 yards rushing 60 yards receiving uh catching touchdown receiving touchdown whatever but the story for me was the football team um a couple really bold fourth down calls that paid off Heineke working some magic to convert some of them um McLaurin again being amazing you know McKissick and Gibson were impressive and then I thought the game really came down to it was 14-7 Panthers football team goes on a long drive to end the half 14-14 get the ball back on another long drive go up 21-14 I mean that is just devastating when you can do that to a team you know score a touchdown at the end of a half and start of a half they get the ball back for the first time since they scored to make it 14-7 they're wondering what happened they're down two scores yeah, the double down that you can have at the at the end of the first half into the second half is an absolute brutal one. I think we saw it with a, another game. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head which exact one, but there was another game where we had seen that same thing over the, over this weekend. And it's, it's it's such a backbreaker for an offense that you know is clicking like the Panthers. Not necessarily that they were clicking on all cylinders, but the fact is that you have 14 points through the first half and you don't get the ball back until it's you're down 21 to 14 in this one. I like that you brought up Taylor Heineke because I thought he was the player of the game for this one. Most touchdown passes, tied for the most touchdown passes he had in the game, highest passer rating and QBR in a game this season. You know, it, it's hard to explain what this guy is. He's, he's like, people use this term all the time and I think it, it really... I, I peg him as one. He's a gamer. You're, I knew I was about. You to, I knew you were about to call him a gamer, dude. I could tell. He's a gamer because he is one. Because there's that fourth down play. Then one of the I think what you were alluding to the fourth down play, fourth quarter tie game. It's fourth and that, two. That one was in. See, there were a couple, but that one in particular yeah. was with magician stuff. He looked like the play was absolutely dead. He's rolling to his left and he's trying to find as many different. Like he's just trying to find any angle to throw a guy. He sidearms it to a guy named John Bates for the first down, and then they end up kicking a field goal to take the lead there it was just great game great play from him I wasn't expecting especially after that a pretty good game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week I did not think he had a second game in him I did end up running I I did like a tease with this one I did a football team up to like 10 and a half and then I had the under 48 and a half so that just hit it was 27 21 I think that the final score was yep 
as for the Panthers, I like what I saw from Cam. Thought he had some juice to this offense that Sam didn't always have, and he doesn't have the he- those head-scratching plays. I thought he played a solid game. It didn't seem like he was super comfortable in the two-minute drill, and that's what Matt Rule kind of alluded to at the end of the game where he's like, he didn't have the full grasp of the playbook. So when you're in these kind of fast-paced plays where they're trying to give out the plays to, to the quarterback, him not having the full grasp of it, I think, you know, hampers what this offense really can do. But I was really encouraged from him, and I th- still hold the same opinion that he, this is a move that the Panthers bringing back Cam is one that will keep them in that playoff hunt as opposed to, you know, going with P.J. Walker, obviously, but even with the Sam Darnold. I think um, so. It was funny. I, I was watching, like I said, I was watching a lot of this game. I was doing a lot of like Eagles and football team um, and like checking on the other games occasionally. And Cam made a throw in the second quarter and it was a nice throw. You know, it was like a line drive, 15, maybe 20 yard completion. And Mark Sanchez is on the call and he's like, oh man, like that's the best throw Cam's made all year. And I was just like, for two things, one kind of shows where the bar is at with Cam that is like, you know, a somewhat ordinary 15 yard guy wide open down the middle elicits that sort of reaction and secondly it's like hey you guys know he played like 10 snaps the week prior and that was his first game and now we're in the second quarter of his first start of the year like sure was his best throw of the year um yeah that's what i I was more so going to go on that second point he's he's played less than a game at that point it was crazy it it was pretty crazy but you know i if people want cam to succeed i'm not rooting against him even though i was on sunday obviously so when you see a couple of his throws being accurate you sort of go sort of laugh to yourself and go same old cam I'm not rooting against him though by any means especially when i'm not betting against him mm-hmm. okay let's get to the next game 49ers jags for the pretty pretty simple in this one 49ers dominated this was another spot where you could look at as you know a letdown spot they had the massive win on monday night short week going across the country to jacksonville but that wasn't the case they led three nothing after the first and then you know put it on them in the second quarter and now they sit tied for the last two spots in the nfc wild card with the out on the outside looking in with games versus minnesota at seattle at cincy versus atlanta at tennessee versus houston and at the Rams. so it's tough to see them getting to that nine win part. When I look at that, when I look at that sleeve, it's not impossible though. And I, I just wouldn't bet on it, but they're still in that mix and they still oh, have a pretty favorable schedule. And they're starting to look really good. Like the Eagles, they're, they're like reestablishing themselves as a run team with their running back Debo Samuel for eight carries, 79 yards and a touchdown. Now, I mean, I know he's a receiver, but he, you know, he didn't look the part on uh He's on been a Sunday. beast. When, whenever they feature him there, he, he has made plays, not just in this game. Yeah. No, 100 100 and a lot of the times like a lot of the times they're basically rush plays but they're those not the, shovel like, t- plays but those pass. like half passes yeah so um yeah i mean he's really good out of there he's pretty dynamic i actually liked the jags to cover this game and obviously that didn't pan out that well i didn't take it but i did like it um i thought i thought the jags have been showing heart um we have to do for one of our games that we cover this week we absolutely have to do 49ers vikings because the, it's two teams that got up to disappointing starts that are now peaking. And I told you on Thursday, if the Vikings won, that I would bet against them next week. But the problem is the Niners are kind of in that same boat where they're also due for a letdown. It's two teams that are dying to have a letdown game as they're approaching, you know, playoff contender status. So we have to cover that one. It's a really fun game. Um, And yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm trying to get the line right now for it. Dude, Uh, these lines this week, it's right now. Do you want to bet? Do you want to guess what it is? Where's it's the game? Nine, Niners are home. Um, Niners like two. It's three. Yeah. So they're they're even on a neutral field, is what Vegas is telling us at this point. But the funny thing is, the Niners are four and one on the road and one and four at home. So maybe they'd be better off playing in Minnesota. Um, I think um, 
the, the lines this week in general, we might have a lot of games to go over this week because the, the lines are so small across the board. It's really a fascinating week. Um, so, and you know, this game is one of those ones that, again, is why the NFL is so great because it's two middling teams, but it's a, it's a really big game. It's a really intriguing game when these two guys get at it. So, you know, I'll save, I'll save it for when we get to it you know, later in the week, but I just had to point out that it's one I'm really looking forward to. No, I, I definitely agree because look at like both these teams are on winning streaks at this point. They're both trying to make that, that's that fight for the last spot in the wild card spot in the NFC. So there's definitely room for, or definitely a lot of urgency, I think with this and, one. And but, there's a lot of similarities, you know, both coaches are taking a lot of shit, you know, Zimmer, obviously. And then there's, there's been a ton of pushback on this whole like, Oh, Shanahan's a genius. Oh no, he's not. He actually sucks. Like, um, and then it's like Garoppolo and Cousins are both under fire as well, you know, for slightly different reasons. But um, there's just a lot at it. And these teams met in the playoffs a couple of years back, I'm pretty sure. And the Niners really beat the crap out of them. Um, I can't remember know, off the top of my head, but yeah, I, I, think, I wouldn't put it past it. I mean, I the Niners in that run, the 2019 one, were just beating everybody. I'm pretty sure it was right after the Vikings beat the Saints on the Kyle Rudolph touchdown. And then it was like a day game in San Fran and they beat them up pretty badly. Um, I wouldn't so. put it past them. Yep. Last thing, last thing yeah. I want to say is just, you know, the emergent like with the Niners, the reemergence of Brandon Ayuk, who was, you know, in, like, oh, in the dog in the doghouse for most of the first half of the season. And now we've started to see him, you know, get back into form. I think he's got the most route run and the mo- most targets on the team over the past four weeks. So this is a guy that's starting to get more integrated in the offense and allows you to put Debo Samuel in these weird formation spots. If you have another guy that can, you know, be a serviceable, not only serviceable, but a very good receiving option on the outside, along with George Kittle, obviously. So it gives you the multidimensionalness that I think that I think Kyle Shanahan wants to do with this offense because, you know, everybody builds him as this offensive guru and he is very, he is very creative with his offensive schemes. So I think the ability to have Debo Samuel in the backfield and then have those threats of George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk to beat you down the field uh, opens up this offense a lot more. And I think that's what we saw here. I have seen over the past couple of weeks as they started to round into form. Okay. Bengals Raiders. Uh, I'll give it to you. You're the Bengals guy. Yeah. Well, this is another game that I was watching closely. You know, I, uh, I started actually taking the picks that I give out here. Um, and it, you know, two and one this week. Um, but because I was doing all this like round robin stuff and like parlays, you know, you go two and one on three games. And if you just put a hundred on all of them or whatever, you'd be up a hundred, but instead you got to do all this fancy stuff and go up like 17 bucks. I mean, you know, that's just a way of life. Um, <laughs> but you know, anyway, um, the, I don't know. It was another slow start for the Bengals. Remember I talked about this a couple weeks ago about how they were, you know, for where they were scoring wise, they were such a bad first quarter team. And again, you know, they like clockwork, they have a brutal turnover that leads to a field goal. Luckily they held them to three. They held them to three again in the second, in the second quarter. Um, I thought Burrow was out for the season at one point. I don't know if you saw that. Play. Yeah. Yeah. The sack uh, on the, like he was rolling his left and then he like kind of like pushed off his knee to try or like tried to like hold onto his knee and was like kind of like slowly getting up. After yeah. It. No, it, yeah, he, he was fully limping, man. There's no way. Like, he was, yeah. like, he tried to stand on. He did that thing where, you know, you, like, stand up on the knee and then, like, you fall right back down. You're like, oh, man, I don't know what's up there. And I'm pretty sure it was the same knee. Um, so this was a week that sort of re-reminded me how badly this team needs offensive line help. And I know I mentioned it um, prior to them playing the Browns. And maybe it's and, – and I know they got, you know, beat up by the Browns. And maybe it was just because I was watching this game a lot because I was on it and it was a 4 p.m. game. But I was just, like – man, like they really need some help there because I don't know how much longer Burrow's going to hold up for. You know, we talk about Baker's being oft injured, but Burrow's not necessarily that much better in, in that situation. He just doesn't have as many commercials and isn't as famous. Um, but he is every bit as good, if not better. So, um, he, you know, another big game from him, Joe Mixon good. 
Oh, and just another thing on the offensive line. I don't know. I don't know how much of the game you were watching, but they kept showing this graphic. It was like the Bengals had like 12 negative plays. Um, and that's a problem with the line. I like Mixon. He scored two touchdowns, but so often he gets given the ball and he just loses four yards and it's not his fault. It's just like, oh, there's three guys back here. What do you want me to do? So I think they really, really need the help. I don't really view them as a genuine threat. So, you know, I think that was probably an overreaction midseason. I do view them as a playoff team. But that, you know, for me, they're like a genuine 50-50 to make it. Maybe a 55-45, 60-40 to make it, something like that. Where are they right now? Uh, they are, I mean, yeah, they got the first wild card spot at this point, but they're tied with the Chargers in Buffalo. I guess they just have the, the time. But they have a difficult point. schedule as well. A very difficult schedule. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you. They started out slow. They had 10 points in the first half, 13 points to three quarters, and then they got 19 in the fourth quarter. So the slow start. And then outside of short field turnovers, the Bengals needed to methodically drive the ball down the field to pick up points. They had scoring drives of 7, 12, 9, 10, and 12 points outside of those. And the longest play they had on the day was 17 yards. So this was something that I was talking about early on when we were previewing this game on Thursday, that both these teams didn't really have the big play, the big plays that they had had early on in the season with the Bengals. I thought it was something that they would be able to fix as opposed to the Raiders who weren't getting Henry Ruggs back, obviously. Right. And they but, missed them a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the offense continues to stagnate and continues not to have really the vertical threat there because when you look it's like one guy had more than 30 receiving yards and there was Darren Waller the run game had just 60 yards from their top two starting running backs so when you're not getting the production from the passing game and the running game and you're not getting those big plays I, I mean it's really going to be hard for you to score consistently in, a, in the NFL I thought this game was closer than the final score showed because yeah, at the end of it there was just turnovers from the Raiders late in the fourth quarter I think they scored 13 points the Bengals did in the last four minutes of the game because of a couple of turnovers and all of this and obviously the mix and run I still just – I'm not – yeah, I can't buy into the Bengals because of the deficiencies that, deficiencies they have on the offensive line because it, that also hampers them from the ability to hit those big plays outside of the fact that they haven't just been able to connect between Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Just, you know, they're, just, they're very close, but they're just not there yet. I don't know what it is or what they need. I just think at some point they're going to start clicking again like they did early on in the season. And then with the Raiders, you know, they're a full game out of the wild card with upcoming games against da at Dallas, at Kansas City, at Cleveland, at Indy, and versus the Chargers still to go. So you've talked about the classic Raiders collapse. It seems like they're in the midst uh, they, of it, and it seems done. like it's going to keep going. They're done, but – and I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, it's not fair to categorize this under the classic Raiders collapse because it's one thing to have the coach, but then you have rugs and then you have Arnett. It's just, it's too much. I've said it every week. It's just like their season's over, but this time I'm not going to rip them for it. Um, just real quick. I got the Bengals rest of schedule for you. Um, hosting the Steelers, hosting the Chargers, hosting the Niners who are better on the road anyway, at Broncos, hosting the Ravens, hosting the Chiefs at Browns. Really difficult. Yeah, like there's like one game maybe that I look at and like I think it was the Broncos game and I look you at gotta like, okay, the yeah, you like gotta that, be that's a game that they should win. But outside of that, that that's a bunch of tough ones and you know that 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 sucks. But this is a team that's shown enough, I think, at this point to more to feel like this is a successful season. You've seen the Jamar Chase Joe Burrow connection. Yeah. You've seen Joe Burrow take another step. You've seen him recover well from the ACL injury. You've seen a defense that's shown flashes there uh, across the board when you've brought in different guys. And then now they just need to address the offensive line. Yeah, as long as they can avoid any like torn ACLs, you know, whether Burrow or someone else before the end of the season and they can, you know, keep the positive momentum, whatever it may be, you know, even a team like the Cardinals last year, yeah, they started hot and ended up not making the playoffs, but like they went, what was, that? I believe it was like eight and eight and they took a lot of positives from that and they came into this season ready to tear it up. And I think the Bengals could do something similar. Agreed. They have the quarterback that's shown the promise there, the guy that has shown the ability to be a guy that you could 
that you can get behind and somebody that can lead you to the, to those high points of going into Baltimore and actually dominating there and looking like the better team in that game and just consistently throughout. So I, I think when you have the same way that the Cardinals identified that with Kyler Murray and that they can go all in on this guy and all in on this team, I think the Bengals need to and should do this going into next season. Yeah, and you, and you can even say, like, with Chase, you know, you have a number one like they had with Hopkins. I mean, he's not quite a Hopkins yet, but his production kind of is. So, um, I, I think his ascent, he looks like he's going to be on that track. And this is a guy that you'll have for five years without giving him the $27.5 million a year that DeAndre Hopkins makes. Right. All right. So let's go to, um, let's go to Cowboys and Chiefs. Um, l- let me just ask you this Are you willing to buy that the Chiefs? have suddenly fixed their defense and are actually, you know, at least, uh, I don't know, league average or top 20 unit. Hmm. Okay. So I'm not willing to buy their defense in general based off this performance, but the fact is I'll say they're probably around 20. I, I just don't think you can take really much from this because of the fact that no Amari Cooper to begin the game, then they lose CeeDee Lamb at the half, all of these different things. I just think aided in the fact that their defense was able to string together more stops than I think you would have anticipated heading into this one. But, but, but still, I just like, they kind of shut them down. I mean, for a team as deep as Dallas, even with no Amari. And I mean, a CD came out around halftime. It doesn't change the fact they scored three points in the first half, the Cowboys. Um, And then, and then, you know, yes, Amari's out, but Cedric Wilson's emerged. Michael Gallup is back. And then they have the tight ends and they have the two running backs who ran decently well. I'm surprised I didn't go to that a little bit more, honestly. Um, something like 100 yards on like, you know, 20 carries between the two of them. Um, I, I thought they should have gone to that a little bit more. I thought the player of the game was Chris Jones, a guy who had been out of the lineup for a little bit. And he came back, he had three and a half sacks this week and the fumble recovery. Uh, he probably should have just gone down on the fumble recovery. It looks like he was running backwards there for a while, but um, – <laughs> You know, like I said, I thought he was the player of the game. I thought him and Frank Clark sort of reemerged and said, you know, we are in fact a good, you know, defensive line tandem and, and someone to look out for. And I guess when three of your 11 players on defense are, you know, all pro players or at least pro bowlers and Jones, Clark and, and, and Honey Badger, you know, why not? I mean, why not? It seems like they're definitely improving. So I think, um, man, I just, I feel like the Chiefs deserve to miss the playoffs. And yet they're here. Here they are in first in the division. They got so lucky against the Packers. They got, you know, the Giants game was iffy. I don't know, man. They're seven and four and they just beat the Cowboys, one of the best teams in the NFC. So all of a sudden they, they look like they're back to being the class of the AFC like it never happened this early season stuff. But I still don't buy it for, you know, I, I still need to see it for a couple more weeks. Um, but maybe I'm starting to be in the wrong. I, I might be alone on that island pretty soon of doubting them. Look, I'm one of the guy of the pod. I'm the guy that's looking to buy in on the Chiefs. You're, right. you're more of the skeptic. I'm one of the guy that's been just like itching to buy back in on the Chiefs and find that reason. But this wasn't one of those games, I think, that proved that for me because I, I went into it saying, like, I want the offense to show something. I want this offense to show a second consecutive week of putting up these monster numbers or looking like the team that we had seen over the past couple of years. And we didn't have that in this one. The, the offense, the fact that 11 drives, they came in with two touchdowns and two field goals. Like that's not going to cut it against a team or a defense that like the Cowboys are, where it's not like they're great and they're going to stingy and keep you really on your side of the field. This is a team that's opportunistic with turning the ball over. And it's not like they turned the ball over a lot. It wasn't like their possessions were leading to turnovers. It was leading to punts. So the fact that you didn't have that and you didn't have, you know, on the defensive side of it, I get the point. Chris Jones was an absolute beast in this one. 
I still just, it's the full, it's the full complement of what Dallas does. I don't think you can say, okay, CD Lamb was out there in the first half. Has CD Lamb ever shown the ability to be the, a number one wide receiver, uh, an alpha number one wide receiver in the league at this point? He's been a good number two with Amari Cooper opposite him, but he has never shown the ability to be that alpha number one guy that you, a key that you can key in on and put your whole game plan behind it and he'll put, still put up numbers there. So I think that's all part of it. Michael Gallup working his way back from injury and they did go pass heavy early on in this game. And I think set them back when they probably should have ran the ball. There was yeah. no Tyron Smith on the left tackle position. It's just a lot of things missing offensively for Dallas that makes me a little bit hesitant on the defensive side of it for Kansas City to believe that they're around league average at this point and more so probably towards that back half of the 20s. Yeah, and then also um, Kelsey had a, had a good game. I mean, the standard of what a good game is for Kelsey has really dropped for me this season because I feel like he's been so bad. But, you know, it was like five catches, 80 yards, and he also had that rushing touchdown. Um, you know, Tyreek, obviously a good game. Edward Tiller was showing some life, which was nice. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it was a step in the right direction for the Chiefs, who still have a couple more steps to go, in my opinion. You win the game. You beat a good team. I, like, that's still an impressive win after they had not been beating these teams, whether it was Baltimore, whether it was Denver or uh, Tennessee, I mean, whether it was the Bills, just all these teams. So the fact that they yep. still were able to beat this Cowboys team is is – not nothing. It's just not everything where I'm like, I come on this pot and I'm like, I'm buying them. Yeah, give me all of this because right now they are the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl among AFC teams and tied with the Bills for the best odds to win the AFC. That's, that's just because there's no team to put above them, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of it. But we talk about, you know, the Chiefs, the Titans churning out wins and still giving them props and KC about figuring out how to win games. But when it comes to these futures, I'm still not going to be able to back the Chiefs given what we've seen over the past couple of weeks because it hasn't been consistent enough. And when I'd rather just roll it over and continue to bet them spread if I really believe in this team and that they'll cover it. Right. All right. Um, so let's go to the final 4 p.m. game. Ended up being the best game, uh, Cardinals versus Seahawks. You know, it's funny. You mentioned how you weren't going to doubt an offense led by Mahomes or an offense led by Brady or an offense led by Russell Wilson. And I almost stopped you and I said, are you sure? Because, the, you know, they've looked really, really bad, the Seahawks team, ever since he came back. You know, they looked better this week. Um, almost catch of the year to DK Metcalf that unfortunately got called back. That was insane. Uh, like, the, yeah. like the, the fact that he readjusted, he had to, he like, he had to readjust the ball with one hand in the time and I like, still almost came down with it. That was yeah, and then he, while, yeah, while staying in bounds, it was just, yeah. it was crazy. Uh yeah, you know, I feel like we always have a couple catches like that. You know, the highlight reel of catches that almost counted might be better than the ones that did. Um, when you think about like the one um, Mike White, you know, the the throw a couple weeks back, if you remember that one, was really great as well. I can't. Um, I can't. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's the Jets, you know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the Cardinals, what are they now? Is it two and one or three and one with Cole McCoy? Um, two and one. Yep. So it's just, it's exactly what you asked for. You know, it's the inverse of the Browns, as we said before, you know, this is a team that had the guts to bench their QB and are reaping the rewards. They're winning games without him. Um, when, whenever Kyler comes back, you have to assume he's going to be close to hundred percent and then they're going to be a really, <clears throat> a really, really dangerous team because, you know, like I said, like, I mean, they're, they're playing this well without him. The defense suddenly looks elite. They're shutting teams down. Um, and the Seahawks, I just don't see them making the playoffs at this point. I said that before the week, and now I'm convinced you're going to have to win like all your games going forward. And even if they don't have the most difficult schedule, it's just a lot of games. And there are enough feisty teams in the NFC that I just see, you know, nine and eight is a maybe eight and nine is a no 10 and seven is a yes. That's sort of where I'm at. Um, and nine and eight. I mean, are you really going to go six and one the rest of the way? I doubt it. 
you warned me. I took the Seahawks on the pod. I, I thought that they had it in them. You warned me they might not have it to come through in these must-win games, and they proved you right in this one. Yep. They were more than happy. The defense. I'll start with the defense. They were more than happy letting Colt McCoy and nickel and dime his way up the field consistently when the offense wasn't providing anything on the opposite end. And when that's happening, the fact that you're just fine with them kicking field goals consistently each drive, drive in and drive out, that, that just, you just can't have it at this point. And the fact is that he was able to move the ball well. He showed he showed the ability to go into Seattle last year when he played for the Giants and they when they had that upset victory against Seattle last year. And he does it again now. It felt very fitting that, you know, third and goal with a little over two minutes left, Jamal Adams gets a PI that gave the cards the ball at the one-yard line where they were then able to score the touchdown to go up uh, by more than a possession. And then offensively, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm still not going to not gonna not trust a, uh, a Russell Wilson-led offense, but that's just – I don't know. It was inexplicable how they how they couldn't move the ball on, on the Arizona defense, which is very good, which has been good throughout the entire season. It's just still – when you have Russell Wilson, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Gerald Everett, all these guys, exactly. you cannot put together scoring drives. It's just it's just mind-boggling mind-boggling to me that you can score 13 points throughout an entire game when Colt McCoy's on the opposite end you know so so I'm starting to think Russ is going to be out at the end of the year he's going to demand a trade you know there are like signs with this past offseason but it's like and you kind of see this with Rodgers too it's like these guys are going to go to a situation it's like Rodgers is not going to have someone better than Devontae Adams you know Russ is probably not going to have two receivers better than Lockett and DK Metcalf. So I'm curious, you know, what these guys are going to be looking for when they move, if they move and sort of what situations they end up in. Cause I do think Russ is in a solid situation, but he just seems like perpetually unhappy with the offense. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I'll be very interested to see. And you know, I'd love to see some of these guys in new uniforms uh, after so many years playing for the same teams. I'll tell you, I'll tell you where he'll get a better, better, uh, better combination of wide receivers. Come to the Giants. Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, Kadarius Tony, all those guys. You don't need to worry about two guys. We got five. And, and zero Pro Bowls between them. Yep. Uh, well, uh, to Saquon, Saquon no, I'm, I'm sure Saquon has yeah. one probably from his rookie year, honestly. Yeah. So, um, but no, like you were saying with Seattle, they sit. I, I was literally thinking the same thing that you know each week where this is a three and seventeen, no first round pick, first round pick going to the Jets, which is now a top five pick at this point. If if everything just stays the same, it, it's just the the likelihood that Russ asks out is just growing with each week. And this team isn't completely dead, but they're hanging by the, the slimmest of threads right now to potentially make it into the playoffs or even come close to vying for that opportunity come week 18. All right. And then um, the final game, this was the almost perfect Sunday night for me, you know, um, chargers come out hot score early as I believe they tend to do, and Herbert used to do at Oregon, which I still hold against them, and then they sort of disappear a little bit. I mean, I know they were scoring throughout the game, but the Steelers come back. They even take the lead 37-34, and then, or, you know, before that, it was like Herbert pick in the clutch, had to make a mental note of that. Then they go for it on fourth and inches, and Brandon Staley from their own, what was it, you know, 34-32, whatever. It was, you know, field goal range. when they 34. Yep, so – that I was like, oh man, it was, it was like, um, I was going to ask out, I was going to ask off the pod. It was like, it was like, a you know, the video of Vince McMahon and like the stuff keeps happening. He keeps getting more and more excited. Yeah. Um, that was basically me. And then, you know, it, it ended up not happening. Of course, um, 
Herbert burns him over the top, you know, mistake. And then the announcer's like, oh, if Mega Fitzpatrick was there, whatever, whatever. I mean, um, it was a really good win. It was a really, really good win. It was funny that the Steelers went in there with a better record and were six point dogs. Um, but, you know, has something the- to do, I think, with TJ Watt. Um, TJ Watt, who else was out? Minka and then Joe Hayden being out. Not, yeah, all, not all six points because it's not like you're missing a court. It's not like Aaron Rodgers is out and you're putting in Jordan Love. Yeah, but no, I mean, um, they, the Steelers showed me a lot passing wise that, that I didn't necessarily expect. And the Chargers, you know, have shown an ability to win shootouts, which is very, very important. They did it against the Browns and now they did it against the Steelers and they kind of did it against the Chiefs as well. You have to be able to win those games. You know, as much as it pains me to say it, I have a lot of faith in Justin Herbert in the two-minute drill, the way he's been playing, the way he's been getting it done. There was never really a doubt against the Eagles, right? You, you kind of knew he was going to put it away in that one. Um, and he gets it done here, and he, get, he got it done in the Browns game. And there wasn't a doubt there either. So he's starting to look really, really dangerous, like one of the top, you know, seven QBs in the league or whatever you want to call it. So I think the Chargers – you know, I feel confident in them that what that what happened to them midseason was just a dip. I still believe they have holes in their team, but who in the AFC doesn't? Um, and I think they are a playoff team. They're a playoff team. I, I think, I, yeah, we can both agree on that. They're not a team, though, that you think seriously could, like, go for the AFC title. There's there's right. definitely at least four teams that I would take over But them. someone might win the AFC, and we're just going to be left wondering what happened. So it may uh, be. Very viable. But it's the fact that, you know, their weakness is the run game, and that's one that, we, that we've echoed that, you know, there's right. a bunch of teams in the AFC that really rely on, them, on the run game to, to find success on their offense. But this looked like the almost a classic Chargers collapse that we had seen so many times over the last few years. And it was one of the more entertaining fourth quarters. I mean, we saw the constant back and forth, the momentum shifts, whether it was the block punt, then like it was just the onslaught of, you know, the Chargers are in control. And then you feel the comeback with all the fans, all the Pittsburgh Steelers fans that were in, in SoFi Stadium where you had the block punt, where you had the touchdown after that, where that, where you had the interception, where you had the fourth down stop, all this. I'll say, I, I don't mind the fourth down, the fourth down, go for it because the offense, the defense hadn't stopped anybody. They hadn't stopped them at all. They had 34 points at that point. And if you're like, okay, if it's the difference between moving between the 20 and the 20 and we're saving a bunch of clock there and they ended up holding them to the field goal, you know, I'll take that as a win because in the end, like you were talking about when you have Justin Herbert on your side and you have a two, it was, I think a little bit under four minutes there. I still feel very good about that. And that's what I'm hoping for when I was talking about with the quarterback, I want a guy where under four minutes, under two minutes, I feel very comfortable with him. And I feel like, okay, we're the team that's in control. I want to be in the position where most guys were opposing fans, where you're going against a Brady, where you're going against Mahomes or Rogers, et cetera. When that team gets the ball, you're kind of shitting yourself where you're like, oh my God, like at the end of my seat, like, please just hold them, just hold them. Because all they need was a field goal after that one, at that point. So I just think there was a lot of things where you've seen the chargers kind of take that next step from the team because they have the quarterback where I think the aggressive play calling didn't kill them in this one, because I think circumstantially still 34 yards out. It's not like the rate. It's not like the defense had stopped them really throughout the entire game. And it gives your quarterback that you have a lot of faith in a a lot more time to operate the offense. Now I'm not going to say it was like a great drive or a great throw because it was more of a busted coverage, but I still think in the end, if that busted coverage didn't happen, he was going to lead them down the field for at least a field goal. Exactly. Worst case, they were going to get a field goal. You know, I'm starting to think that Staley could kill a baby and you'd be like, well, you know, according to the analytics. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I respect. I mean, well, the only one way to find out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I, I do respect um, 
I respect the decision in a way. And the fact that they held the three after the facts made it obviously worthwhile. Um, for like, again, for me, you know, and, and I loved Doug Peterson as the Eagles coach, but Staley goes even farther than Doug, in my opinion. No, he takes it to the next level of how aggressive he goes. And, you know, maybe that is the right way to go about it, especially with a high powered offense like they have. Oh, and I meant to point out, um, you know, we talk about the Chargers being weak on the rush defense, but this game, 18 carries, 55 yards for the Steelers. They got shut down and it was really the passing game. And I don't know. I don't know if they just sold out for the, for the run this game or if. I think it's a combination of two things. Asante Samuel Jr. got injured in this game. That's one of their better corners. So that helped, that impacts the ability, obviously, with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson there. If your second corner is out, first or second corner is out, it really impacts the ability to cover both those guys. And then the Steelers' offensive line is just atrocious. I mean, their run yeah, game hasn't been sometimes good. Sometimes they'll have good games, and it just didn't happen here. So, I mean, it's, it's a little bit noteworthy for the perceived worst rush defense to, you know, put in a pretty good performance. No, I completely agree. It's the same way with, with the, the Chiefs against the Cowboys. The Cowboys have a good offensive line. They have a good offense. And the fact that you're still able to stymie them enough where they're not controlling the game through the run game, that's, uh, that's still a positive that you have to take out of it. You don't need it to be the, uh, the 85 Bears when it comes to stopping the run every game. So I, I, there, I don't know if you follow this. Uh, it's uh, the fourth down decision bot. It's on Twitter uh, at Ben underscore bot underscore Baldwin really good analytic stuff with it so the fourth down decision what is it tied tied up fourth and one 66 yards from your opponent end zone with all the time and all of this you go for it, your win percentage is a 58 success it becomes a 73 fail 38 and all of this it's pretty much telling you it's a go for it situation so what and what was so you said 58 percent if you go for it what's the percentage? so right now uh success is 73 oh wait what uh, the, yeah, success, the percentage, the percent chance to succeed in that spot is a seventy-three percent chance to succeed in that fourth and one call. No, I know, I know. No, the win percentage, the win percentage, if they if they succeed, is a sixty-five. If they fail, it's no, a no, but go back, go back. I'm asking, what's the percentage? Just success aside, what's the percentage if you go for it? What's the percentage if you don't go for it? Win percentage. Uh, win percentage is a fifty-eight. If you win, fifty-three. If you punt. So 58 if you go for it. Wait, I'm sorry, one more time. 58%. Yeah, and 53 if you punt. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could see so that. They, so um, they see the 5% difference there as a strong point for you to go for. Yeah, it. you know, I maintain that, the, the, you know, you can't fully compute it in the lab. It's dependent on, like, personnel and stuff like that. And do we even know if the decision bot factors in who's on the field? Or is it just, like, a hypothetical, you know, pure raw numbers it doesn't actually factor like the percent chance of the la chargers getting it against pittsburgh steelers on a sunday night in this situation or is it just sort of like no it's just based on that it's based on that it's based on that it's based on the timeouts it's based on the amount of clock left so that makes it you know that's i don't it makes it a little bit fraudulent i have to say you you've this has been your sticking point when we've talked about analytics throughout the the past couple of years is the fact that they do not allow like it doesn't take into account you know every aspect of you know different teams and what the strengths and weaknesses are you know here's the thing i I do a lot of like like statistics work and and it's basically like you can make numbers say anything you want but if if you can conduct a study but then at the same time there are like many outside factors that haven't been accounted for then it's hard to take it seriously and and, and a lot of the times and so you know I, i believe that um i believe those numbers given a sample size of all the nfl games over time but 
but a Browns, you know, a Browns um, Lions game from 2014 that might be factored into the data really effectively has no bearing on this situation. So, and that, that's sort of where it loses me. And I also, you know, I liked the call, right? They, they did a sneak, right? Um, no, no, no. It was a, it was a handoff to uh, which, which, I thought I didn't like the call. It should have been a QB sneak to Justin Herbert. Was, I don't love the, I don't love the handoffs to Eckler. He's not that guy. No. He's really not that guy. I would rather um, get him in space. I like I like Herbert on the sneak. You know, I know um, like that's the kind of guy you want doing. It. I mean, Brady's the best at it, but a guy like Herbert should be pretty good at it too. I saw Mac did it on Thursday night. Is you know I saw I saw um, I saw Brady for a sec. I was I've seen double. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Again, good win for the Chargers respectable loss for the Steelers. Unfortunately, respectable doesn't cut it when you're trying to make the playoffs. They're five, four and one that tie continues to be a really interesting wrench in things. Um, so again, an another, you know, conference that we're going to see how it pans out. I mean, this ending stretch is going to be fantastic. So I can't wait to, you know, keep following it. Yep. I can't wait either. We'll be back on Thursday to discuss the week 12 games and preview all or five of the marquee games. And we might have some college football talk because we, I think we have to talk about Cincinnati and all and how the, yeah, uh, how it's shaken out over the past few weeks since we've, uh, since we touched based on the first college football rankings, but thank you for listening. Hope to see you on Thursday. Thanks.